If you live in St. Louis or St. Louis County, chances are high that you know a lot about Congressman Lacey Clay, but you probably don't know much about his Republican opponent this year. That will change as Republican Steve Bailey joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our St. Louis studios, my co-host. Yes, uh, fellow St. Louis Public Radio reporter, Joe Manis. And our special guest we have in studio. Steve Bailey, Republican candidate for Congress. You are the, the Republican candidate in the 1st Congressional District? In the 1st Congressional District, opposing Lacey Clay. The Clay family has held that office for 48 years. Yes. And when I talk to people on the street, they're kind of shocked that it's been that long. <laughs> it's longer than I've been alive. Time flies. <laughs> but I, I'm sure the congressman sees that as a point of pride. Right. Um. Now, for our <laughs> listeners, uh, we just had the congressman on. It's been on our website just a couple days. So if you're listening to this one, which which will be a good show, I'm sure, um, after you're finished, you, if you want to listen to the congressman Clay, you can Pull that app and listen to that one as well. We want uh, everybody in St. Louis and St. Louis County to get a good perspective on this contest. Before we get into the machinations of this race, tell our listeners a little about yourself, kind of your professional background, and why you decided to run for this seat at all. Um, Well, I'm an attorney. I was trained down at SIU uh, Carbondale. My family grew up in Edwardsville. I was born way out in Utah, and we spent time in Brazil. Where in Utah? Uh, Provo. Okay. My dad was on the faculty at Brigham Young. And Brazil the country or Brazil yeah. the town? Brazil the country. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's wow. kind of like, you know, one day in Indiana, I went to Brazil, Peru, and Paris. Yeah. Paris, Illinois, Brazil, and Peru, Indiana. Yeah, I don't know if I'm from know. Indiana. I did, so I yeah, Joe that. is from Indiana, so the fact that Mike Pence is on the ballot must be a field day in the sense that Indiana is in the spotlight, not for any political reason. Well, reasons. actually, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I know some of his relatives. I actually went to high school. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. I'm serious. Wow, yes. wow. Yes, because he, he is from the same part of Indiana where I grew up. I mean, wow. the same general area. Well, and Mitch Daniels is become a modern hero of mine. Oh, yeah. I really like what Daniels does. I love his editorials in the Wall Street Journal. Um, anyway, to finish it out, we had a dad had a dollar diplomacy job down in Brazil and spent about five and a half years there. But his next duty assignment would have been Saigon. Mm-hmm. And he had four small children. He was lucky enough to land a faculty job at SIU Edwardsville. Um, and so I went all the way through so I'm kind of an Illinois kid, but uh, I married about 20 years ago a young doctor, and her practice was in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty easy for a lawyer to cross the river and continue my practice in Illinois. What's your specialty? Uh, as an attorney, I was a personal injury lawyer. I worked both insurance defense, and I did plaintiff's personal injury uh, primarily for railroad workers. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I, I got to just ask, because Illinois has a reputation of being pretty friendly to, to trial attorneys and attorneys in general. Did you get a sense that it was easier to operate there than Missouri? Or But Missouri had a different set of laws back when you practiced, I would imagine. So was it basically about the same? 
They're very similar. The city of St. Louis is also a relatively liberal uh, jurisdiction. In fact, in terms of railroad uh, litigation, it's one of the best places to file a railroad case in the United States. It's right up there with Brownsville, Texas, some of the others. Juries are really pretty good, and the laws are good. And what I found amazing was that there's a tremendous amount of U.S. Supreme Court and Missouri Supreme Court law that is used nationwide on the FELA. Wow. That's something I honestly didn't know, and I know a lot. I didn't know it until I walked in and had to do research on the— uh, struck not the uh, Switchman's Act, and I've forgotten the name of it. Yeah, because yeah. actually, but my my grandfather and my step grandfather were both big railroad guys. Because I said uh, Indiana, my birthplace is Peru, Indiana, where Cole Porter uh-uh. was born. But also, <laughs> that was a hub, a railroad hub, way back in the day in the early nineteen um, hundreds up to the uh, up to, up to World World War Two. So a little history there. Jason's going crazy. Okay, so tell us what prompted you to run for office. Oh, but before we get there, what are you doing right now? Because I know that you haven't practiced law in a while. Uh, yeah, I kind of stopped practicing law about about 20 years into the practice of law or 22 years into it and got a job at OMSOL uh, teaching life insurance um, and started teaching life insurance about two weeks before September 11th of 2001. So one of my first experiences coming onto the campus was coming in and there were no planes in the sky when we used to have two dropping in about every three minutes. Yes, because it's very close to Lambert. Very close to Lambert. And, you know, I didn't know it as I was flying in, but that campus can be seen out the port side or the left side of an airplane. Yeah, yeah that's true. Land. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so to now, now, Joe, you can ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a freewheeling show today. <laughs> that's okay, good. Which is good. Okay. So um, what prompted you, I mean, from your field to decide, hey, I'm going to run for office? Well, and have you been in any other offices before, so our listeners know? No, and I've tried to make a Ronald Reagan-type uh, statement about, you know, <laughs> I won't hold that against my, my uh, opponent. But, um, no, I have never held a real political office. I mean, I've been a leader in a lot of civic organizations, uh, Cub Scouts, uh, local church organizations. Um, but always in the back of my mind, I've harbored some desire to make a big political splash, I guess. Uh, And Congress uh, is something that I have sort of trained for. It's I worry deeply about our federal government and its overreach into state and local business. Uh, You know, we're not getting the separation of powers that we should ordinarily under the Constitution. The Congress has repeatedly taken hot button issues and transferred them to the executive and then the executive is kind of runs roughshod if you will through administrative deals and the courts defer to almost every administrative activity now because you are a lawyer is there anything particular about your expertise that you think uh, would be a particular strength if you're elected to congress well you know, certainly the construction of statutes and the interpretation of statutes is a strength of mine. You know, if I were to talk at the uh, tax code level, um, almost nobody can unwind that. You know, I studied it heavily in law school, 
And uh, my professor sort of jokingly referred to this one section that had 733 words, seven semicolons, four colons, 17 uh, commas, and not a single period. And, you know, his idea was you can do almost anything you want to because there's no way anybody can figure this out. That is an incredibly long sentence. Like, it's almost a nightmarish sentence. I'm almost scared after you told me that. Well, and that's typical of the code. I'm not certain. You know, I would love to. One of the things I think we need in the United States is a repealer session. Mm -hmm. This used to be a standard in the state legislatures. You mean where they would go through and repeal they stuff? Go that they go back in and just look at what what is not working. Where can can we modify? Instead of just continuously bringing new law on board, new law on board, and then it brings on new regulation. And, you know, the average worker, the average individual doesn't know what the laws are. Now, um, when you decided to run for office, you did have a contested primary. Yes. I actually um, covered the uh, league forum yeah. before the primary, yeah. which had everybody. Um, was there anything particular about the primary that you think will help you now as you go to the general? And what sort of support are you getting from the area Republican organizations? Well, the, um, most of the local committee people are, are very aware of me. Uh, the North County Republicans in particular I've been able to go to. I've got to get into the city. I'm planning to go next Wednesday is their next regular meeting. Um, I appeared at uh, the Clayton um, Township uh, meeting. meeting. Right. They had a picnic in Tellus Park and gave a speech on uh, uh, privatization of a portion of Social Security, which was really pretty well received. You know, the idea is that if we could give each, each individual, if they want it, 4.4% of Social Security to manage on their own, we wouldn't be stuck in a 1.1% yielding T-bill account which is what we're defaulted to in Social Security. And it's part of why we have a Social Security crisis, mm -hmm. is that the choice of investments for individuals is so limited. And, you know, we let that be run away. I don't know if I'm answering the question No, no you're doing it quite <laughs> well. That's actually pretty interesting. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the Republicans in the first congressional district, because I'm, this is, we'll, we'll, it's a good segue into this. I actually was at the first district caucus and Joe I think was at the second district yes, when the yes. when the delegates were chosen and I guess this wasn't surprising to me because I know the makeup of the first congressional district. it's a heavily democratic district I think you know what you're getting into there but I just noticed like as far as like luminaries in this district who are like in actual elected office I counted two I counted James Knowles the third of Ferguson and a council person, I think, in St. Anne, who's running for county council. That's it. Everybody else is kind of on the grassroots activist level. When you compare it to the first district for the Democrats, there are so many elected officials there that they— that There it, were too many to fill the slots. Fill the slots. Right. I mean, have, have you gotten a sense that that reality makes getting your name out difficult? Because I think you know what you're getting into. This is a heavily Democratic district, but— even when you know that, you probably encounter how challenging it is just from looking at the grassroots organizational standpoint. What's kind of your take on that? Well, the, I mean, if we were to look at the city Republican uh, Party, for instance, I think about half of the wards don't have a committeeman. Yeah. 
Um, that's roughly, and I don't know that that's current. Uh, they shift in and out. You know, when I looked in July, there were only about a fourth of the wards that didn't have one. But when I looked again after the election uh, in August, it looked like almost half had not been filled. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of getting the my reach out, um, you know, it's not a heavily funded campaign. My opponent has $400,000, and I've spent a little under 5000 of my dollars thus far myself, mm-hmm. you know, going primarily door to door, talking to people, um, you know, that's been an effective campaign tool. It's essentially what I did in the primary, and I won that by 60, a two-to-one march. It's, it's interesting because I live in southwest St. Louis City, and there actually are a lot of Republicans that live in yeah. places like St. Louis Hills or, yes. you know, the 12th Ward, the 23rd Ward, even like the 11th and 13th Ward. I just haven't seen, though, like a very organized Republican presence there. Like the, Donna Berenger, who's my alder woman, is going to become a state representative. She has a Republican opponent, but she's going to win. Right. And I would say that that would be a good opportunity for a Republican to get in that race and get 40 or 45 percent of the vote. But ever since I've lived there, they've never fielded a Republican candidate there, even in Republican parts of the city. Is that why do you think that is? Because that seems like there's opportunities there for Republicans to at least be competitive, if not gain ground. You know, you'd have to ask a lot of yeah. other other people. Um, you know, I started out life as a Hubert Humphrey Democrat. Yeah. Um, really? Yes. Okay. And, so oh, what was your come to, you know, change moment? Come to Goldwater <laughs> moment, so to speak. <laughs> Well, I don't know that I'd go quite as far as Barry Goldwater, but I certainly go to a Howard Baker tradition, mm-hmm. a Lowell Weicker tradition, okay. um, you know, to name people in the Watergate uh, affair. You know, as a Democrat, I was always tempted to vote for Reagan. I'd go to the polls and I'm go, I've always been, a, you know, I'm a good yellow dog Democrat. Uh, but what I heard from Reagan, I really liked. So did you switch while Reagan was president? No. It, uh, in fact, I was not a big Bush fan, um, but I was slowly Bush drifting. Bush one or Bush two? Bush two. I was slowly drifting in that direction. Um, and I, I'm probably counting myself as about 10 years. I've been much more solidly Republican. So we mentioned on the outset of the show that the Clay family has held this seat for about 50 years, 48 years. 48 years. Interestingly, State Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal, who primaried uh, Congressman Clay, brought this up, too, during her primary campaign, that just having almost 50 years of the same family holding a seat was excessive, in her view. Obviously, the primary voters had a different opinion. Why do you think that's a bad thing that they've had this continued service? Because I'm sure that Congressman Clay would say, you know, my dad was a successful congressman. I I know what I'm doing because I've had all of this political experience. What would you say to that argument? And why do you think it might be a negative? Um, well, it's one fifth of the existence of the United States of America. If we look at 240-year existence of the country, which is, dates us to 1776, it's precisely a fifth of that. If I were to compare them to, say, to the Adams family, John and John Quincy, uh, John Adams was what uh, a representative, ambassador to England, ambassador to France, 
Uh, his son, John Quincy, a very able statesman, I believe, was an ambassador to five different countries. Yes, including Russia, yeah. Right. Very, I mean, it, you know, there aren't many good biographies on him. I've looked for one, but I haven't found one because he's a fascinating man. You know, when he appears in other people's biographies, he really kind of rocks the boat, very if you will. So. Very competent, uh, kind of John Jay-like character. Well, he went back after he was president to be in, in uh, And he did eight years House. in Congress, didn't he? Yeah, yes, he did, and he had this seat. They even have a little spot there where in the old chamber. If you, sit, if you stand there, you can hear anybody whispering anywhere in the chamber. And that was not intentional, but then they realized that's how come the old guy knew what everybody was saying. <laughs> <laughs> he was not maneuvering. And let's be honest, America might have been better if, you know, Quincy Adams would have won re-election and Andrew Jackson never became president. But that's for another podcast. Uh, no, I'm, you know, but I'm with you there. He's one of... He's one of our first autocratic presidents. Yeah. You know, he's very different from Washington. And he had a brilliant wife, but that's another show. Yes. Too. Well, you know. Uh, are we talking about Jackson here or Quincy, Quincy Adams? Who are Quincy you talking about? Oh, Quincy Adams. Well, Quincy you know, Adams' wife was brilliant. His, his mother is a phenomenal character, yeah. Abigail Adams. But I believe when you were talking about the autocratic president, he was, he was referring to Jackson. Yeah. I was yeah. referring yeah. to yes, Jackson. Yes, he was. But, but, let's, but go, go, so if back we're to looking at the Clay family, it's been congressman, 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 congressman. So congressman. are you comparing? Dot, dot, now, dot, now dot, you're not comparing them congressman, to, to, congressman. to Jackson. Well, I, the Clay family locally. Oh, to Jackson? Yeah. Oh no. Okay. No. Okay. I'm trying ahead. to. I'm trying to draw a comparison between great American families, the Clay family and the Adams family. Okay. The, the Adams have served in a variety of, you know. So it's sort of like John Calhoun, if you will. Yeah. Okay. John Calhoun was a senator. He was also a congressman. He was also the vice president. He never was. I think he was. I can't make it through his biographies. They're he became senator. He actually resigned from being vice president and became senator and again. Went back to being a senator. Yeah. Um, but continue. Anyway, you know, that's a little more in our tradition. It's one of the reasons I ran against Gephardt in 98 was that he had held that seat for, I believe, 22 years. And it's we just get these uninterrupted congressmen when the the intent of the Constitutional Convention on a two-year seat is maybe eight years at the outside. It's, you know, and the parties used to, like Lincoln was elected for two years, and the party told him he couldn't run again, hmm. even though he was a very effective congressman. So are you advocating term limits for Not Congress? at all. We have them in the Constitution. You have to vote them out. Right, 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 right. So, so okay, so as you're, tra- are you, tra- what sort of campaigning are you doing? Well, what I've mostly been doing is going door to door. Um, I've got Facebook and Twitter going. Um, you know, I'm not making big hits in those necessarily. Um, you know, I'm slowly building interest in those. I think my Twitter account is pretty good, although the Twitter sometimes leads to not the best comments <laughs> from an individual. So are you planning or have you been able to raise enough money to do any sort of Advertising no. or mailers? Okay, so it's basically... So it's door-to-door with handmade, you know, FedEx Kinko copied flyers okay. and talking face-to-face to people. So no and talking mailers. Yeah. No. That, that's, a, that's an allusion to Russ Carnahan's 2012 race where he <laughs> literally mailed out... Mailers yes. that talk to you. Yeah, yeah. It, oh, really? It's yeah, a, that's a whole nother. It's a running gag. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. I actually did a no, big so story. No, so I've mostly been going door to door, 
That's what I did in the primary. Uh, you know, I'm amping up some of the appearances. I was hoping that we would have a League of Women Voters Forum with Congressman Clay, but he got back to them and said he was too busy for that. Yeah. So let's kind of segue into issues because if, okay, you are the underdog in this race. Absolutely. I, I think Congressman Clay is heavily favored. Through no fault of your own, the district is just very, very democratic. Right. So what are your key issues? And, I mean, what are you really hitting him on? I mean, aside from the fact the family's been, you know, has represented the district for a long time, what, are there particular positions that you're saying are wrong or just kind of what's your key pitch to people? Well, my key pitch to a lot of people is that he touts himself as a progressive. But if we look at the north side, we certainly aren't making great progress there. You know, we're seeing a regression, unfortunately. I was at Blair and Grand uh, last Friday. I used to work near there, and it has lost probably 30 to 40 percent of the buildings, and that's probably an underestimate. There were little small pockets of ability. The big things that I'm concerned are youth unemployment in the ghetto, if you will, or in the hood. Um, you know, we've got a 17 percent this is something Maria Chappelle Negral talked about too. She's um, the state senator who challenged Clay in yes. the primary and lost. Right. And um, but we have a 24.1 percent young black male unemployment rate, and I'm I don't know exactly where the cause of this is, but I would trace it back to uh, education failures of of a sort. One of the things I'd like us to see us do is amp up mentoring or take some kids who are just not academic learners. They're better off in the shop class or whatever, you know, or a sewing class. I'm not real sure. I'm not real good on what girls want to do for a living. Um, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't admit that. But, you know, what guys want to do and um, a lot of times is build stuff and do kinesthetic things. But they're not getting basic algebra skills, basic reading skills, basic literacy skills, communication skills. Um, I'm also very concerned with our deep homeless population. Well, these things are definitely problems, but they seem like things that you would fix on a local level, not Congress. Have you thought that maybe you should turn your attention there instead of running for Congress? I mean, I don't. Where do you live, first of all? I live in Clayton, so you okay. obviously can't. <laughs> okay, you obviously do that. But I mean, can you can you answer well, my point though? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know that um, the federal government, in fact, if we read the Constitution, guess what word never appears? What education? Article 1, Section 8 is very explicit. So, about are you what saying powers... would you want to get rid of the Department of Education? I would love to see us downsize that and shrink it So hugely. I mean, I'd rather put this back to the states. I like what the Republicans did, even though it's claimed they did nothing over the summer, that they actually returned a lot of money to the states in terms of you guys do what you want to with this federal money. So what role, I mean, because you mentioned some of the concerns, as Jason pointed out, what do you think Congress can do regarding any of those uh, or is your job to have Congress do less regarding those issues so that the local and state governments do more? Just what you're. Well, a couple of places we might be able to work through Congress are things like bringing back a form of the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, 
to help rebuild cities or to straighten out neighborhoods. My plan, I call it a 256 plan, and it's two to the eighth, I think, is 256. Mm -hmm. If we can get two people together, they become four, they become eight, they become 16. We just kind of multiply effect in neighborhoods. And we might be able, through mentoring and other uh, like ideas, get young people job skills. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's the social skill of showing up on time, being courteous, uh, being appropriately dressed, um, you know, uh, the other op option is in the homeless uh, community, I think we've made a mistake from what I can gather going back to the Kennedy administration, moving away from state hospitals for some people, and certainly Reagan compounded this. Yeah, and I mean, well, it was a big thing under Reagan because that's when a lot of Missouri's facilities, Kip Bond was governor, and that's when a lot of that was downsized. Just. Just yeah. editorial No, thing. no, but I, I think we need to editorialize on that because we were all screaming out here in the trenches, this is going to just re lead to rampant homelessness, and it has. You know, we're, we're underserving a population that we're called upon to serve. You know, if we're able-bodied and healthy and, and uh, you know, I think uh, Matt Holliday says, you know, those to whom God has given great gifts, much is expected. So if you were in Congress, how would you address any of this? Well, I would try to find a, a constituency, and I think we have it now in Paul Ryan and some of the other leaders, that we need to get into the inner cities and begin working on how do we make this education system better. One of them is how do we maybe get pressure on local uh, authorities to begin working on school choice. Well, I mean, I have to ask this question because the 1st Congressional District is a majority African-American district. And even though there are instances throughout Congress where white people like yourself represent African-American uh, areas, sure. Steve Cohen in, in Memphis, how are you going to be able to, like, command uh, – how are you going to be able to basically exert – you know, political influence, influence yeah. or political authority when many African-Americans may want an African-American in this seat. I mean, the, the, the first district and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, there was a long battle in Missouri to make sure that the first congressional district had a majority African-American population. So there'd be African-American representation. Yes, this there. goes back to the Voting Rights Act. I mean, way back. Yes. So yes. can you address those concerns? Because, again, I, we know we know the realities of this district. It's heavily Democratic, but I think that there is also kind of a a racial and a racial justice component to why this district exists, essentially. Well, there there was a young man who stood on the Lincoln Memorial in 1964 and talked about all God's children, mm -hmm. um, and that resonates extremely well in the African American community. Um, you know, do I have a long list of African-American friends? No, I do not. But when I go into the neighborhoods and I talk to people face-to-face, -face, I would say somewhere around two out of five of them react very favorably to me. I went into Moline Anchors. Uh, a friend of mine brought me into there uh, to a, a cancer awareness event, and I was able to talk face-to-face -face with a number of people, and they were deeply engaged with me. Yeah. You know, I think that if we look at what we're getting from our African-American representative relative to the African-American community, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln was not a black man, you know, and uh, that's who founded our party.
Yeah, but I think there's been a lot. Our greatest progressive was Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And again, there are instances where a white person would represent an African-American district and vice versa. Shamed Dogan, who's a state Mm -hmm. representative in Baldwin, is African-American. His district is primarily white and he's African-American. I'm not saying like you can't have that scenario, but I think that there has been a long running battle to make sure that there is African-American representation in levels of legislative government. And that's why places like the first congressional district were created. And that's probably why, you know, Russ Carnahan wasn't successful when he primaried Lacey Clay, because I think a lot of ordinary people, along with political leaders, wanted to keep that going, essentially. There's probably more resistance in University City to a white man representing the district Mm -hmm. than in any other community in the district. Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, are you finding that out going door to door or what? How come? I found that out. because I've been told face to face that we really think we need to have a black man running this, mm-hmm. you know, and that's contrary to the teachings of Dr. King. Mm-hmm. You know, we're judging people by the color of their skin, not the content of their character. And, um, you know, judge me by the content of my character. Yeah, there is always going to be some resistance. There's going to, you know, dare I speak about reversed racism? But I think that sort of thing does occur. Um, is it in the best interest of the community? That I can't say. That's up to the voters. It is up to the voters. And um, so at this point, do you envision any sort of uh, joint appearances with the congressman? At this point, I have nothing. Uh, I reached out a little bit, but I have not heard back from him. Are there any Republicans who are going to be campaigning for you, or is there anything that, that any help that you're getting? I'm getting some slight help at the committee level. I'm hoping to do better at the uh, uh, at the city when I go in there next Wednesday. Did you say you ran against Gephardt in 1998? I, I ran against Gephardt in 98 in the Democratic primary. Oh, okay. and this was in the third district, yeah, right, right? Third district, and I got the to, old third district. I got essentially the I hate Gephardt vote which every candidate who had run against him for the so past 10 years. So was that now. like 20 percent, 30 percent? It was about 25, 26. Yeah. It was a lot of votes. It was very satisfying from an ego standpoint, <laughs> but not really meaningful from uh, a getting elected standpoint. And then I also ran in the six-person race when Lacey Clay inherited this seat. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I actually remember looking at that. I was I was in high school in Illinois then, <laughs> but I have looked back at the results of past primaries, and I do remember seeing your name there. That was, but the main it was a dismal showing. The main <laughs> uh, battle there was Charlie Dooley versus Lacey Clay, right? Correct. Which yeah. Lacey Correct. Clay won by a pretty sizable margin. It was pretty near two to one, if I remember right. It was about twenty eight percent for Dooley and fifty six for Clay. Yeah. So yeah. it, it kind of just shows, though, that. Running against a Clay is extremely hard. I don't think they. I don't think the Clay family. When I'm talking about the Clay family, I'm talking about William Lacey Clay and Lacey Clay. I don't think they've ever lost an election, and this is going back no. to the '60s. Right. So they obviously know what they're doing they from sure an election. Do. Well, well, the father. I mean, you know, the retired congressman, you know, Bill Clay, mm-hmm. was one, is, and it's, and when he was in Congress, one of the most. Um, daunting figures, and I mean that in a in a respectful way, that I ever covered. I mean, he, you know, he knew, you know, he had been an alderman. He had gotten arrested, you know, for... Uh, civil rights. For, for civil Bank. rights at the Jefferson mm-hmm. Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, he had credentials. 
And when he went to Washington, you know, he had, you know, he really had some uh, strong sense of what he wanted to do. And, um, but he still kept his hands in local politics. politics. Oh, yeah. And, but a fascinating man. I was in the Washington Bureau in the early 80s for the Post-Dispatch. I used to deal with him a lot. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Fascinating figure, and and Lacey Clay I, ha- I got, has was, acknowledged that he's very different from his. And I, I just want to add too, there are very few political figures in Missouri politics who were in elected office in the early 1980s who are still in elected office now. He has been in elected office for almost 30 years now. Lacey Clay, going yes. back to his state legislative right, days, right. and I mean, obviously he's running in heavily Democratic districts. I'm sure that the the, the Clay name helped him. But, you know, it takes a lot to run for office, as I'm sure you're finding out now. (laughs) And he has found quite a bit of success even when running against, you know, tough opponents. So we got to give both Clays their due from an electoral standpoint. Absolutely. Even if you don't agree with them policy standpoint or political standpoint, the record speaks for itself. But I'm sure you've. You're sure you understand that having run against well, them before? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really saying that they're bad people yeah. and we need to throw them out. I think that's a losing argument, yeah. particularly with Bill Clay. Uh, you know, that's a great man. Um, and I like Lacey personally, but that still doesn't mean that that's the best thing for the United States or for the district. You know, if we're looking at how well things are being f- served, a lot of people are telling me that they feel like Lacey Clay has disappeared. Yeah. Well, this is why competition is good. So. Yeah, and well, thank you for, for joining us. And uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. You can you can find me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can find Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. How would we find you on Twitter or Facebook? Uh, I'm Bailey, the numeral four, oh. rep one. The, the, num- the numeral one, okay. right? The number four. Uh, Facebook, I don't know my tag there, but I think if you do Bailey for yes. rep and yeah. search it, you get that. And then Bailey for rep, the mm-hmm. number four again, dot org is my website, which is uh, I take on about 25 hard issues and talk about them. Clay's website is a lot of pretty pictures. Well, I'm sure that your your website has some pretty pictures as well. A couple of me. I don't know if that's pretty. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, the reason I exclaimed there is because a running gag on this show is whether people's Twitter handle either has the number four or the word four spelled <laughs> out. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. Awesome.